It's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 648 for July 28th, 2020. And I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, our guest is Sean Peterson of Puyallup Tribe. Did I get that right, Sean? Close. (laughs) Well, that's my best shot. So Sean is a professional artist working in public sculptures. And I know art, that's kind of weird for me to talk to somebody about art, but work with me here. Uh, Also printmaking and uh, mixed media. He utilizes tech to plan installations for major works and private commissions. He works in the Seattle area and draws inspiration from his Native American heritage, blending technology and tradition and what he calls traditional innovation. So the way I got to uh, to know Sean was he wrote a, a really interesting article at his website. Let's see if I can pronounce this, Sean, Qualsius.com. You, you got that. Just All right. right. And uh, there will, of course, be a link in the show notes here. But uh, it was on changing the narrative. And, and he talked about his art and his technology. And he talked uh, about how he was inspired by podcasters Ken Ray and uh, the NoSillaCast. And then later on, uh, Leo and the Twit Network. So um, certainly caught my attention. He's got to be a brilliant guy if he sees those shows as being uh, inspirational to his tech journey. <laughs> so um, we've got a lot of different angles we're going to kind of kind of try to cover here. We're going to talk about uh, about culture and biases and technology and art. Where that's all we have to cover today, right? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's start with how did you get into tech? Um, and there was a summer program. My, my grandmother worked in education. She was a secretary for Chief Lush High School. And, um, there was a program teaching DOS patterns. And so Hmm. writing code to generate using the, what they call the turtle to generate geometry. It's back with the old green screen, black backgrounds. And, it really interested me to be able to put together numbers to make art. Like it, it was, it opened up my mind into these possibilities of what could be. Um, but you, you didn't I, I like th- math as a child, right? Oh no, <laughs> I'm still afraid of numbers. But I'm you, but but, but you love geometry. Yeah, yeah. Which uh, is which is that interesting. That was a thing too. Growing up. Uh, my grandmother or my grandparents lived next door to my parents and um, on a reservation. And I grew up around a lot of our traditional baskets, handwoven baskets and blankets and things. So just like that geometry is part of oh. kind of the visual experience of growing up and a big part of our culture. Um, oh, that's interesting. So when you're born, it's often given like a blanket is given to the family that um has a pattern, or if it's specific, it becomes uh, uh, something important to the family. I mean, I, I should say also, <laughs> when I when I note some things about Native culture, I can speak to my experience <laughs> and not all Native people. <laughs> oh, come on. We <laughs> always kid around with Bart. He speaks for all of Ireland and usually most of Europe. We just say, you know, anything he says covers everybody, right? <laughs> no, that, that is, that is a good point. Um, so, so arithmetic, no, but, uh, geometry, uh, was, a, was a big love. What, what about algebra? I'm just curious. Cause these things are distinctly different feelings for me. Oh yeah. Actually. I mean, I just liked what it looked like to write formulas and, mm. um, at the same time, 
my grandfather had a lot of um, blueprints around for planning when oh. he was a chairman of our tribe. So like I was fascinated with drafting and mechanical pencils and <laughs> architecture and things like that. So it was like all these overlapped things that kind of came together. Um, I still have my drafting pencil. Uh, I'm seeing Sean on video and I'm holding up my drafting pencil that I keep it at my side, right at my, uh, at my desk. <laughs> oh, nice. Well, I still have my prized thing is the me mechanical pencil that my grandfather got me when I was, I think, it, it, seven or eight. Oh, wow. And I've signed all of my prints with that pencil. Oh, that's really cool. I like that. I like that. So um, you're you're obviously my people because you don't like arithmetic. I was explaining to Sean beforehand that Rosemary Orchard had to write me an, a, uh, a shortcut for my phone to help me add one to the uh, to the show number. So I think we're kindred spirits there. Uh, but how did how did you grow into tech and art? How did how did these worlds collide? Um, it's I guess just the people that I met along the way. And this is a thing, I, I guess I should say, like growing up native and in a contemporary setting where people just, I think, are assuming that we, I, I've met very many people who still believe we live in teepees and uh, ride on horseback everywhere. And oh, <laughs> we have really? to look a certain way. It is, it is su shockingly surprising how often that is a is a really interesting stereotype. Really? But wow. Um, I mean, growing up in the Pacific Northwest, you know, with Microsoft and um, just like tech in general, I think in the Seattle region, my perception of it anyway, it was just that it kind of was uh, always around. It's like in it's in way. the water there, right? <laughs> it's in the water there. Yeah, pretty much. So, so you were exposed to to tech, but then where did the uh, did the art come from? Was that more from oh, the native side? Uh, the art was always there because my my great grandmother was an oil painter, and then my grandfather, who was a politician his whole life, basically, I think that was his way of kind of uh, meditating, <laughs> if you will. And I spent a lot of time with him, so he would sketch at the the dinner table. Mm -hmm. um on the weekends and i'd sit there and then he had different like books of like figures and like animal forms just different uh um reference books on how to sketch things oh. and like learning proportions and force perspective things like that were really interesting to me like things that he wouldn't normally probably talk to a kid about well, now that I look back at it, but he was really in, intent on it. And um, I, I always valued that he had the foresight to trust me with that information and not kind of talk down to me, even mm -hmm. though I was you know, really young. But it really stuck with me my whole life from there. And also, <laughs> this is like in the 80s before, you know, we have the Internet. So like books meant so much more and drawing and as an entertainment form was something that really appealed to me. I can see the, uh, the appeal of the, uh, the perspectives and proportions that also folds into drafting, right? I mean, 
drawing mm-hmm. perspective drawings of buildings and things, you know, one, one has, uh, you know, a lot of straight lines and one has no straight lines, but it's, it's conceptually the, the same kind of thing. So you were learning the technical skills behind art. Did, yeah. you, did you find that you, you had talent early on? Cause that's a different, that's a whole nother thing, right? Um, yeah. And then one thing that I tried to talk about, I, I used to teach art and language uh, for Chief Leshai for uh, in my 20s. Is, is that a and, school name you just said? Yeah. Yeah. Chief Leshai School. Okay. Um, so it's a native, uh, predominantly native school. Um, and I one thing that I, I reconnected with in teaching, it was mostly elementary and then some middle school, but um, just how when we're younger, we're not judgmental of ourselves and that we can draw whatever we want. We're not thinking like how awful it's going to be. But I think it's just that whoever holds on to that longer, I mean, people do gravitate towards what they're good at and how they perceive things. But then there's artists who, you know, uh, Picasso doesn't appeal to a lot of people Mm -hmm. (laughs) or there are other artists who do abstract, but it's also, so rangy like you said at the top of the show it's like we could talk about art and that could be you know 30 episodes yeah so let's talk a little bit about um the kind of art that you do and then i want to talk more about the the tech and art in that is um sean has videos online of these massive wood carved sculptures and and other kinds of sculpture, uh, other kinds of art that you do, but the ones that the one that really stood out to me was that massive bird. Um, it's a bird, right? Oh, yeah, thunderbird. Yeah, <laughs> a thunderbird. And so that that's a a very tactile, you know, working with wood with your hands with your muscles doing it. But there's a a technical component to that too, right? Yeah. Well, within the art tradition, the clean lines of relief carving um, are part of that. So it's sort of like blending the woodworking with like um, the shapes that are distributed throughout the relief sculpture um, echo back, a, you know, pre-contact time. So you find objects with that type of, uh, those type of patterns in them. So that's kind of how we connect the art in the modern sense with our traditions but um if that makes sense um i don't know much about it so um but you've you've talked about people giving you a hard time for using technology to oh yes help you build this art and why is why is that a problem i don't understand well i think part of it's i think generational where people and it those if i've carved in public and i did a residency for tacoma art museum for one of the large sculptures i did that's a 24 foot tall welcome figure uh, a female figure and um, when i was carving there especially people would say i read about your people and i know this this and this and i'm like well that is at a very limited time frame and written by one point of view. Um, I mean, yeah, great. They, you know, took time to kind of have an interest. But then it's where there's an overreach of 
this is how you should be doing this because this is how I read about uh-huh. your people. Um, I think this we could all way. just stop using the word should yeah. altogether. Just get rid of that word in its entirety. We'd all be better off shooting on yourself and other people. Mm-hmm. So, oh, the, so they look at you uh, using technology to create these beautiful works of art and they're telling you you shouldn't be doing it that way? Oh, I think the most interesting one is... Everything should be carved with stone tools and what? shells to really? be really authentic, to be real. Um, <laughs> and I, what, what, my friends in this field, they're, you know, it's a small world here. <laughs> but one thing that one of my friends who I carve with from time to time, he pointed out to me, he said, these people who judge us on that are really fascinated with a lot of books published of work that was around the late 1800s and all of that work was created using steel adopting steel technology and then innovating in their time to to make uh take files and different irons that they found modify them and then create massive amounts of sculpture so it was what they called the golden age in our region Hmm. where a lot of totem poles were made and canoes and things um in the early trade so, but they have a reverence for that and don't realize, well, that was made possible by them innovating using steel technology back right. then. So, right. That is a technological advancement. Yeah. And at the same time, I think to myself, like, would you judge somebody from Japan for not living a samurai or <laughs> your life? It's sort of this romantic notion that you have to be within a time period. But that's something that's really put on Native people, huh. especially, um, at least you know, in my experiences. You know, where I live in Los Angeles, there are a lot of Native American people, but they're, they're all blended in. So they're, they're not, you know, I, I, I knew a guy who was a son of a, of a chief and he worked for me, but, you know, he was just exactly like everybody else. So, I mean, the the conversation never occurred of what he should be like in any way. Yeah, and I think that kind of goes into my profession where I'm exposed to people who are looking at things from art history or um, maybe an academic uh, lens, maybe. Okay, Um, or idealistic, maybe? (laughs) Yeah. So you were, uh, you said you were inspired by, um, by Apple in, in terms of being drawn into, to being an artist and using technology. Can you talk to that at all? That was what, in the eighties and nineties? Are you old enough for that? (laughs) I am 45. Um, I, well, that's going to require me to do math to figure out whether the answer is yes or no to that question. I can't do subtraction. So, (laughs) well, um, I think like I'm trying to remember my first uh tech really well a lot of it was based i mean when you don't have a lot of money, you start building computers sure. as you know Microsoft machines basically, and then realize like once I got into the design world and I'd been doing art for with printmaking and um hand cut films and stencils and things like that. And hands on, uh, actually learning to make tools from my my great uncles um, that and my first mentor. 
so that was like kind of giving me a ground level of like um a real hands-on manual labor (laughs) kind of working in the mailroom as it were kind of starting out (laughs) and then moving into the tech side of where the screen printers i was working with to do the art prints they were using um mac uh, Macs for everything. Okay. And they're like, okay, if you're going to get serious with us, then you're going to have to get a Mac. <laughs> and I got a power or a 17 inch power book. Oh, then. wow. That was and, a beautiful uh, machine, but it weighed what? 86 pounds, I think. Oh yeah. I think that's how I got my first workouts. <laughs> Just do curls with it or something. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and they had, uh, everything was on that platform to work with them was on, uh, I think, there was still at the time there was Dreamweaver and I'm trying to remember Illustrator acquired somebody or um, Adobe acquired something that we used to use. It got folded into Illustrator somehow. I can't remember what it was called now. Okay. But um, at that time I was just doing like uh, Photoshop stuff, but I was interested Somewhere in there, I started getting into trying to write, uh, learn about CSS and um, Cocoa. I'm trying to remember what else. Oh, really? I started to get into like a rabbit hole of like how I could make a site. And that's when like before like WYSIWYG and all that stuff had been like mainstream the way it is today. So like you had to really like (laughs) work from the ground up. Sometimes knowing that stuff, though, helps you appreciate the uh, the WYSIWYG that it is today, right? You know why oh, yeah. it works? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So um, you did mention uh, to me on the side that uh, you were inspired by BART as well with the, uh, the pro- is it the programming by stealth part or uh, what, is it security stuff? What's, what about his contribution were you, were you thinking about? Oh, security for sure. Okay. Yeah. And I, I, that's like the, it always comes down to the convenience versus like the protection <laughs> <laughs> of it all. And like two factor authentication, things are always changing. And um, that's what I, that's one of my responses to people who kind of are judgmental of me being native using tech. And I'm like, <laughs> well, are you using old Microsoft or are you on Windows uh, 3.6 <laughs> you know? or you know, what is your OS? Like, we're all, you know, adopting technology and using it for different things. Yeah. Uh, why would your heritage have to stay static in time at some time that they decided? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like you say, like using steel, but not after. That uh, <laughs> is such an odd thing that I find that I find that really, really strange. So uh, Apple had a big Think Different campaign, and you said that that, uh, that resonated with you? Oh, yeah. And just like the designers I was working with at the time, I'd really grown an appreciation for graphic design and fonts and um, mm. just like the creative process overall, for what, even what goes into like concert posters and things. I had a lot of friends who did that type of work, illustration, then like I was learning about um, vector work and making that conversion from Photoshop into Illustrator is a really, really hard transition. Oh yeah. But once you, that's a whole different tool, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. 
But at the same time, after you learn that, it's like a huge game changer. And then from there, when I was doing the um, that figure, the welcome figure, I started working with uh, my friend who's a contractor, who was my project manager at the time. And he was using, and he's not a tech guy very much uh i got him i think i got gave him one of my old uh um imac but the early or something the mac mini yeah so he could still use his old hardware from other stuff but he started using google sketchup when google owned sketchup and he was job site planning with it and then i was like well that's really interesting Because then, like, there were times I couldn't be at the site and he'd be there, so he'd leave a plan that he would print out. And then I started to uh, mess with that early on. And I did something on accident and then started getting some unique organic-looking forms. But I didn't know how to recreate them. That weren't rectangles and and stuff? Oh, wow. (laughs) Oh, but Uh, you you did it by accident, so you didn't know how you created it? Yeah, so I was, like, trying to recreate the accidents (laughs) somehow. Um, but then I started digging into other programs like Rhino and, um, and Cinema 4D. I don't know anything but, about uh, Rhino and Cinema 4D. Um, well, there were, um, I'm trying to think of another. Are they I mean, I, 3D rendering engines? Yeah, they're CAD programs. Okay. Well, uh, Rhino is a CAD program and they're just recently like now in in the Mac platform. I mean, like anything, like with a lot of that type of development, it starts in a PC base. Okay. And um, for other people, CAD is computer-aided design, by the way. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, Cinema 4D is more for, like, special effects. And it's not a, an actual, like, CAD program as much as it is. Um, it can do animation. It can do quite a bit. Lighting um, and things like that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now you said somehow that got you connected up with Brianna Wu. Oh, I started following her with that through. I did a show in Prague in 2014, 2013. And um, I met a guy from Germany who was an award winning designer that was working in 3D. He'd worked for a firm. And um, he was trying to get into doing sculpture. So he was on this side of wanting to do leaving graphics going into sculpture. And I was in sculpture trying to go into like 3D, like virtual stuff. Oh. And so like we uh, stayed in touch. And then so he he's the one who got me to commit to Cinema 4D as a platform. So like all these little building blocks were kind of building up to it because it's a four thousand dollar license. Oh, so it's geez. not it's not uh okay, I think I'll try this kind of thing. It's yeah, what's what's a those... kidney cost these days? Are you worth it? <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, exactly. Wow. But uh you know, doing a lot of research and all that, but seeing what it, it could offer, some of my friends thought. Oh, you're crazy for <laughs> spending so much on hardware and software. And I said, well, to me, I look at the long game of where this is all going. Yeah, you can get burned by stuff. I mean, I have a Mac Pro trash can that didn't work out as great as I thought. 
uh-uh. but it has gotten me through uh, what I need. And, you know, just like it's no cube or anything. <laughs> <laughs> I was it's this a, close to buying a cube and didn't do it. <laughs> but um, at the same time, it's sort of like being on the bleeding edge. I did wait a year and I listened to a, a number of people. I try to hold back from that if I can. And that's why, like, even in this latest iteration with what's going on, I'm like, I'm so glad I didn't get the Mac, the new Mac Pro right away, because who knows, like, what's going on with the new chipsets and all that stuff. Yeah, Yeah. so maybe you have a a holding pattern until you see how that pans out. Yeah, for sure. So um, I want to get back to you mentioned about fonts. There was something about Bart needing a font. Oh, yes. Um, he and I'm not on Twitter very often now I, with all that's happened, the COVID stuff and all that. I kind of am like catching up and I work solo as it is. Uh, luckily, my son is taller than me now and almost as strong. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he can help me around the shop. But uh, just trying to keep up. Uh, I have, it's been hard to like keep on track with the commissions and things that are going on. But I remember... Well, that sounds like uh, a good thing. You don't have enough time to be on Twitter. There, there's like no <laughs> downside to that whole sentence, right? Somebody, somebody called it doom scrolling the other day. Going oh. on Twitter is doom scrolling. <laughs> that was yeah, such well, a I always felt like left out where I'm like, I don't, I don't really get this. I'm not great at social media. I guess, you know, with Facebook, I, I more or less have to in that like Instagram and Facebook, like be present there just visually. To for, exist, for, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. But um, I remember reading Bart needed a font and he explained it. I can't remember in a certain amount of words. And I immediately knew what he needed. So then I sent it over. That was Century Gothic, you said? Century Gothic. So I'm a huge fan of Century Gothic. And I finally figured out how I got it. It comes with Microsoft. It used to come with Microsoft Office. Oh, yeah. So I copied it from my old Office 2011 and been bringing it forward. I don't think it comes with it now. And it's a, it's a beautiful font. Oh, yeah. Well, and that's a that's a whole other danger. I mean, I have like so many fonts. Oh, <laughs> in, really? Yeah. Dovefont.com. You could lose a day just what, like what going through. Wait, what's that URL? I need to go there. Dafont.com. I think I'm pretty sure that's what it is. I've started going into uh, Google Fonts. They've got a lot of free fonts you can play with, and that's uh, that, that's oh, like yeah. you say, that's a day or two. <laughs> well, even what they've built into Squarespace, like it's actually been quite a bit. Um, I mean, all these platforms, you know, like pulling in different um, font types and things. It, it's it's funny. Mo- I think most people look at fonts as like what there's Helvetica. <laughs> maybe Ariel on a wild Ariel. day, you know, go yeah. there. Um, I, I had a really funny experience with my, my lawyer. They, they uh, printed out my will years ago and then, or my trust, and then I'm, I'm upping it. And they, they used to have this really nice font. It was super easy to read. I just, it visually was really nice. And then they sent me the draft copy of the new one. And it was this really ugly kind of serif font. And I, I, I just said, Hey, when you guys print the final one, can you print it in the first font? And the woman explained to me, she said, no, uh, we had someone copy their their trust, change it, and say that we had made those changes. 
So it, it was just like Arial or something was what I was admiring. <laughs> and they said, so we bought our own custom font so we would know if anybody changed it. Oh, wow. <laughs> so that's a really odd way to protect. the. De- okay. Yeah. Well, whatever. <laughs> it's crafty. Yeah. That, that is a whole other thing. I, I know that there's been projects I've been on where uh, a cousin of mine who's also a designer who got me into Illustrator she was saying, be careful with this. You got to, if it's in a certain integration of the public space, then you're going to have to license whatever that font is yeah. potentially. And that could be a whole other legal thing. Things you don't want, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So back to the to the programs that you work with, uh, what did you learn from diving into these other programs? Um, I think... Like, the more I got into uh, Cinema 4D in particular, the more, like, I realized, like, this is, like, a really unadventured or, like, unmapped landscape, pretty much. Hmm. (laughs) Because there are videos out there, there are, like, a handful of people, but, like, it is so wide. I mean, just, like, within the art field itself, um... There's so many ways of doing things and uh, disciplines and directions to go in. Like within that, there are people who specialize in just like uh, motion and writing code for like sound matching up to things. And a lot of it's like um, used for a lot of commercial industry work for commercial like bumpers and things like that. And um, intros like NFL or whatever kind of thing. Um but like in the art side of it was like trying to see the practical side of like, um, I think the most complicated thing is to take a sculpture or something you make and cut the seams so that you can make a, a UV map um, <clears throat> out of it. So it's like basically like when you take it, when you look at the globe, just like I remember being taught in school, it's like peeling an orange and then putting it flat on a piece of paper. Oh, okay. Or less, when you see that version of it, right? You taking things in three D that is really compl- complicated. So, like, that's where I got into listening to Brianna Wu about UV maps, UV normals. Like, so UV doesn't like, stand for ultraviolet in that context. No, I think it's um, has to do with vertices. Huh. I can't remember. Okay, but it means peeling peeling it apart into 2D? Yeah. Huh. So, like, that in itself is it's a difficult thing to do. Um, but I've had ambitions of, like, I want to get into doing some animation work. And with, like, things with, that have been talked about with, um, with uh, Tim Cook talking about um, AR being something that they're pursuing... Mm-hmm. And I, I know I got to be careful because I got I wrote an iBook before, <laughs> and that that fell on its face. I mean, it went nowhere. Um, Wait, yeah, uh, you broke the iBook doing what with it? Oh no! Like when Schiller talked about how iBooks were the future, oh. I wrote an iBook, and I oh oh, was oh sorry, putting, I was thinking of was the old putting, iBook computers. You mean an oh, app, no. you mean what's now called Apple Books? Yeah. 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 Um. So I, I was doing early 3D then and then putting that in there because I was saying to myself, like, it, I was working a lot with University of Washington and I was on the board for the Bill Holm Center 
research for it's a very long name the bill holmes center for research of northwest coast native art oh wow um and he was my my first mentor's mentor he's still he's 95 or 96 now i think um but he was really interested in me pursuing technology and he's a really sort of like traditional hands-on type of person, but he oh. liked the idea and that's why he brought me on to be on part of that board um, early on. So I could, you know, take technology and translate some of these things in 3D that they could utilize at the museum. Oh, neat. And, and so like having objects, just seeing that, you know, even on an iPad, if you, you know, move it around in space and it's virtual, it still gives you a sense of depth and appreciation of the, the work. So this um, was, so you were putting that into an iBook with those little animated things that they had? Yeah. Yeah. But, um, I mean, it still exists <laughs> a version of it, but it's a matter of like picking it back up because it just, it didn't take off the way, you know, that they, they thought it would. Yeah. Well, I uh, think they've, they've now discontinued iBooks author. Yeah. That's gone. So, so that not sure where that is. Yeah. Well, and then the same was like what burned me really hard was I was cataloging all my work in Aperture. Oh. And then when they and then I had all the metadata in there. I had, you know, the year it was made, what it was made out of, how big it was, uh -huh. uh, where it was at. And then when the update went through and then things like didn't export out all the metadata got stripped from it all. <laughs> and it was like heartbreaking. eight years of work. So you're, uh, you've probably been following closely uh, Alistair Jenks' concern with the same thing as he's been trying to find a new way to do it because he's a, he's a uh, tagging metadata monster. Oh, yeah. Well, and then Bento, too. I use Bento oh, yeah. to track all my serographs and my um, digital prints. And then I was like, oh, this is really easy. The interface is great. I could type it into my phone. It was across platform, like across my devices and everything. And all of a sudden, oh, it's gone. Boom, it's gone. I think Renee Ritchie wrote something about there was some sort of replacement, but it's more like inventory, like mm. for insurance purposes of like house belongings and stuff. I mean, you could make a workaround. I'm looking at maybe using FileMaker. I have a license for that. Well, yeah, but that's that, what's funny is FileMaker's been around for, what, 172 years now? <laughs> I, I thought it was gone, and then I found out, no, it's in active development still. A lot of museums still use that, actually. I think there may be, it, that may be one of those too big to fail. Not like it's a, oh. a popular program, but it's so much is in Final Cut now. I mean, sorry, yeah. in, in uh, FileMaker. FileMaker, yeah. Yeah. I never well, and that's where I, I drew a line, though, was like, uh, tagging relationships and then writing those things. It was like breaking my brain to like mm. <laughs> try to understand how that is. Um, like I need to go back to Cinema 4D. I'll hire somebody to, <laughs> to, to catalog this other stuff. Yeah, sometimes it, it gets to what are, what are you enjoying doing, right? Not technology for technology's sake, but to uh, oh, yeah. do the parts you love, right? Yeah, exactly. So, um, what are the advantages, in your view, of what you've been doing blending technology with tradition? Um, well, I think it ties in on a couple different levels. Actually, working with my my cousin, uh, his name is Chris Duenas. 
he's a language teacher within our tribe and he's been working with Maya and Blender mm. and um, I was having the hardest time trying to figure out how to make these UV maps unfold and then watching like or listening to Brianna and some of the links that she's put out about game engine stuff I've learned how to paint um, shades of shadow it's a really interesting concept of like there's a sphere that has like a uh, gradient color. One represents like concave and one represents convex. Okay. And so you kind of have to imagine that it's like the light source where game engines are able to save on memory and processing to work so fast that they project that um, number information as a color <laughs> onto mm. a shape. And then, like, then it receives light always in a certain way. Um, so rather than, like, having to physically create, like, you know, shapes and depth, uh, you can cheat it by kind of faking it by painting on these maps. Oh, wow. But um, one of the things where, like, real life comes back in, we're creating this salmon idea for the Seattle Aquarium. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I said, I'm, hit, I'm hitting a wall with like being able to cut these maps right. And he said, you know, it's funny. He was like, uh, it's like really fishing. Like when we uh, fillet a salmon like that, if you do it that way. And he did it. <laughs> he, he did it like one evening and then sent it back to me. And it all made sense where it was like, well, this is what we would do in real life. Like when you oh, cut wow. a salmon up and um, I was like, why did I not? I was like overthinking or, you know, losing the forest through the trees kind of thing. Yeah, you were hardcore into the technical side of it, but it was actually a fish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, well, that that won't help you if you're trying to peel open something else, but at least it helps <laughs> right? Well, it gives me a little bit of a roadmap. I was kind of learning to cheat it by, I, I follow these guys from, they're called Grayscape, Gray grayscale gorilla and they're one of the few groups that i've seen who've like put out consistent videos where they're like experimenting on what they're building and just trying to uh, build out like what they're good at individually some people are great at like animation rigging and stuff and then other guys are good at maps and some people are great at like simulating like I remember one of them that really interested me was like they had to create a can where they had condensation going onto the can. Mm-hmm. So they're using particle emitters oh. and it, it fired a trigger in my head of like, he was like having to write a script inside of cinema 4d to kind of cheat, like how the program works. I mean, th- there's a lots of layers to that and it's like, Oh, I'm, Got to be careful about this rabbit hole. Sometimes I can <laughs> dive deep down into it. It sounds like you're interested in everything. I am. I mean, <laughs> but that's what, you know, makes life interesting. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't mean that as an insult. I just mean it as <laughs> a, uh, how do you, uh, it's it's amazing you get so much done with your interest in so many things. I could picture you just going, oh, I need to learn this. I need to learn that. I need to learn that. Wait, wait, wait. I didn't get any work done. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then some things like come back around. That's one thing in the the artist mentors that I grew up around early on in my, I, I was 19 when I started. 
and being humbled by being around really accomplished artists who would share with me how important it was to draw all the time. And that like a, de a design that somebody, uh, one of the guys that I have a great admiration for, his name is Joe David, was this design he did like on the back of a coaster on his, like at a cafe. <laughs> and it was uh, a, a, a interpretation of a jellyfish and a, an octopus together. And it was stylized in the Northwest Coast native form line. And um, that was like done in like 85 or something. And he didn't actually create it until like 2008, something oh, wow. like that. Um, but like these ideas, you know, they'll come back to you and you never know, like you kind of have to put them out there. Because sometimes like I think the assumption might be with art that is that we're always just always creating whatever, you know, just a streaming, you know, consciousness that, <laughs> that's going out there. But there are times where it's like I have to come up with an idea and I have to go back to sketchbooks and look at like, OK, I need to kind of visit something differently. And um, or you could, you know, you're trying to make it interesting for yourself all the time. So that's why, like having these other things kind of help uh, in that regard. It seems like from a physical standpoint, you live in two completely different worlds. So I'm, I'm actually looking at video that we aren't producing, but you're in a, a typical nerd room, except that it's got guitars on the background. But, you know, you've got a computer and a big display and you've got a microphone and you're, you know, obviously in a position where you could sit and work for a long time doing that. And yet you have this whole other thing where you're in the shop with with you know, hardcore physical labor carving these giant carvings. And that that's that's really such different worlds. Oh yeah. Well that's how I <laughs> within my ring of friends, they deem me as Iron Man and that technology <laughs> stuff. Cause the guys that I work with in general, they above checking email, there that's not a lot of what they do like tech tech wise. Okay. Um and so like they're amazing what they do uh, and like uh, way better painters than I am and better sculptors. But I like that we could work together and utilize like what we're all great at. And I love coming up with uh, 3D design so that I can convey to a client, whether it's a private commission or public art piece, to put it into architecture or where it's going to go. Oh. And so that relationship is so important. Um, and that, like I said, it's kind of these things coming back to me of like my grandfather having an appreciation for things being built, these blueprints that always fascinated me and, and me drafting in college and then um, dropping out to be an artist full time. <laughs> and my dad was like losing it. Like who, he's an accountant. He's like, you're going to be an artist for a living at, there's no way you can do that. And <laughs> not that you didn't love or believe in me, but it was just like, you know, I might as well say I'm going to be an actor. Um, <laughs> I would so be on your dad's side of that argument. That isn't even <laughs> funny. I just, uh, but I don't think you could have done anything else. Right. I mean, it was, oh, no. it was the pull was too strong. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I guess you got and, lucky enough that you're really, really good at it. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and these things, you know, kind of pull together. 
And I mean, it's not always easy either. I mean, nothing's, you know, uh, laid back for anybody that is doing what they are passionate about. I mean, there's learning curves in everything. Um, my, uh, my mother's biggest compliment on my father was always that he always, he was curious about everything and wanted to keep learning. And I think that's kind of the biggest compliment you can give someone that that's, that's the way they are. And that's certainly what I see in you. One one last topic I wanted to ask you about was you talk about uh, resources and tradition. Is, is that something you can talk to here? Yeah. um, I think that that's part of what came about with the um, utilizing SketchUp originally was, okay, we have X amount of dollars tied to this and it was really nerve-wracking because that type of work had not been done before well, we I, I it started from like the museum at Tacoma Art Museum the my tribe the Puyallup tribe and the city of Tacoma partnered together to make a sculpture that represented the first people of Tacoma and it was going to be sited near a village, one of our main village sites, um, that is actually across, but it's noted as being around where the Tacoma Art Museum is on a hillside. <clears throat> and uh, working with my mentor, Greg Colfax from Nia Bay, Washington, he's a member of the Macaw tribe. He was saying how important it is. He's a very philosophical person. And he said, if we're committed to our traditions, then we need to understand the values they stem from. And that meant like we weren't going to cut down a tree just to make a sculpture. And mm. because the the trees that we have now are just so depleted and overlogged um, on massive numbers. So we made a decision to use a windfall tree that's that just naturally fallen by on its own through nature. And one of the complications in that is that it has a real long check line that runs through the entire um, log. Then we we require them to be for something that massive. They wanted it 24 feet tall. Doing a human sculpture out of red cedar would mean that you basically need at least an 80 foot tall log for the massive width of getting that. And we managed to get one, and um, like I said, that if you imagine a cylinder just kind of cracked in half, that's basically what you're dealing with. So we figured a way to uh, cut that uh, the check line out of the log and then reassemble those pieces. And it was by using SketchUp that we're able to kind of put those together. Hey, to make I, I, can you back up a second? I didn't catch what the check line was again. So it's usually like a storm fall log. When it falls so hard, it just creates a fracture entirely oh. through the log. So it's like, imagine uh, a cylinder like That's spliced in half. half. Okay. Yeah. But you take but that out and then you put it back together again? Yes, you cut those two flat because you need something oh. flat if it's once it starts draw, uh, drying, and mm. I know that we're on audio here, but like if you put your hands together and kind of push your fingers out and your palms out, then that's kind of like where they're bowing. Okay. And the flats are like the parts that would touch is just like the So you base can't put it back together again. Yeah, you 
It, it won't be flat. Yeah. So you've got an 80-foot-long log in two pieces, and you're going to cut an 80-foot-long flat plane on both of them and then oh, no. put them back like together? The, what we did was, how are we going to be able to utilize these pieces of the windfall? And it was like, okay, well, we only need like 12 feet in proportion from the bottom of the dress of the figure to the top of the, the head. And so that was around 12 feet. So we make that section. So you try and make them as small, as short as possible. So okay. it's easier to flatten out the areas. And carry and then, it to the shop. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I mean, we utilize equipment in the log yard. Um, but at the same time, um, we were also working with the engineers on devising a steel plate that would go in that centerpiece bolt. And then two pipes would go down, be covered up by wood for the legs and then the base. So it's like basically cutting everything up and then putting it back together. It's okay. very unconventional, but it's also effective in the long run of the durability of the, the piece. And it's also like easier to move <laughs> with a smaller crew. Wow. So that was going back to tradition would be u using the natural resources, but not wrecking the environment to do so. Yeah. Well, and then the other thing I've, I've talked about at presentations I've given at universities and, and just reminding them that our culture came out of an abundant resource of sea life here and an abundant matter of red cedar logs and alder and different uh, parts of the forest that just were like wiped out on contact. So in pre-contact times, you would cut, you know, make a sculpture. Those logs were so abundant. It was so big that you could put a lot of it into the ground but, <laughs> and just for stability. And now like we have to utilize that resource in a much different way. And then also, you know, account for engineering and safety and all that, you know, earthquake proof, you know, <laughs> what the environment is. And then the other thing on the most recent sculptures, and this is where the 3D comes into perspective, literally, is that the pole that I'm designing now for Seattle Children's Hospital is 25 feet, but it's seen from multiple uh, vantage points of a three uh, tier level building. So poles were always designed as you're standing at the ground and looking up. And, mm -hmm. but now you have to take an account, oh, I'm going to see this from a hundred feet away on the third floor looking down. Or a drone. So, yeah. <laughs> well, that too. But like these, these uh, public installations, they're real like prominent on like different vantage points and then also knowing it's like the the, the people who are going to be here it's you know healthcare, sick children I want this to convey like a, a deep connection and be really thought uh thoughtful of like what that means um both on the story level but just how much goes into how it's going to be perceived wow so much I don't know anything about. I think I could ask you questions forever, but I want to be respectful of your time. Um, 
before I ask you for uh, what, how to follow up on your work, uh, is there anything else I've missed that you uh, wanted to make sure you conveyed today? Um, I don't think so. Um, okay. I think I covered it all. All right, good. So if people want to follow your work, I know they can go to qualsius.com. That's Q-W-A-L-S-I-U-S. Um, are you also Qualsius on Instagram and Facebook? Yep. Well, that'll be handy. So if they can spell it once, they can find you in three places. Um, <laughs> and where does the name Qualsius come from? Uh, that's my my grandmother, my maternal grandmother's father's native name. Um, and, and and actually, a really interesting thing that's come back out of our language group really getting diligent about our research and and a lot of our language was really wiped out and like forced assimilation. But there were like small documents and phonetical things written out by a lot of people that have kind of come around. And uh, one of my distant cousins shared with me that Qualius is actually the, the name for iron ads, like the first iron like tool, carving tool oh, really? that we use often. And like how close that is to Qualius, my, my, my great-grandfather's name that I inherited. Oh, that's interesting. So is is that your Native American name as well? Yeah, also in our in our traditions we inherit names from uh oh. people, but it's a decision that's made by the family collectively. Like I had to get permission from my grandmother's past since, but uh her brothers and sisters had to approve because that was their father's native name. Oh wow. Um but they approved of that with the work that he he did a lot of woodwork and worked on building one of our cedar plank houses, a traditional cedar plank house in Tulalip, Washington. And so with the type of work that I do, the name that you inherit has to have some connection to the work. So it's sort of like the name exists on its own level where uh, it has to do with, you know, the house building and, and, sort of this cultural work and I'm doing that type of work in a different time. So like when I'm gone, that name, it's up to uh, somebody <laughs> later on to pass that on to somebody else. So is that name inherited by you as you're, as you're grown or as a baby? Um, it was actually when I was 30, I received oh, that name. Wow. Wow. Yeah. But it's more like you grow into that. So by the time you're an adult, you kind of more or less kind of determine what you're going to be doing wow. uh, for the majority part. So that's how that association came about from okay. those connections. So much I don't know about this was, this was really, really interesting, Sean. And I, uh, I appreciate you coming on and sharing uh, all of these different facets of you and your world, uh, because it was definitely eye opening for me and I'm sure for a lot of other people, plus you're a nerd. So, I mean, it all works out. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming on the show. All right. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond. Did you notice there weren't any ads in the show? That's because this show is not ad supported. It's supported by you. If you learned something, or maybe you were just entertained, consider contributing to the Podfeet podcast. You can do that by going over to podfeet.com and look for the big red button that says support the show. 
When you click that button, you're going to find different ways to contribute. If you like to do a one-time donation, you can click the PayPal button. If you want to make a recurring contribution, click the weekly Patreon button. Or another way to contribute is to record a listener contribution. It's a great way to help the NoSilla Castaways learn from you. If you want to contact me for any reason, you can email me at allison at podfeet.com and you can follow me on Twitter at podfeet. Maybe you want to talk to other NoSilla Castaways. There's two great places to do that. You can do that in our Slack group at podfeet.com slash Slack, or you can join our Facebook group at podfeet.com slash Facebook. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.